Hey, I'm Robbie Kramer. You're listening to the Leverage Podcast, where we discuss using your social skills to hack dating, travel, finding your dream job, and becoming a complete man. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of the, of the Leverage Podcast. I'm here with uh, my new friend, James Wittet. And I'm really excited to have him on the show. Uh, we actually just met in person on a uh, pretty crazy party boat trip in the south of France. We'll get into that. And uh, I had been talking to him for a few months. We met through another mutual friend of ours. And uh, James is a really interesting guy. Lives in Budapest, but he's uh, you know travels the world, does cool shit. And I think he's got a lot of awesome stuff to share with us. So welcome to the show, James. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for having me. What's up, guys? Yeah, so maybe real quick, if you want to start with, uh, you know, your background, how'd you end up in Budapest? Um, you know, how'd you <laughs> end up uh, becoming a a coach? Just kind of tell your story. Sure. So um, I played poker for a very long time. That was my career before I became a mindset coach. And um, I grew up in New York. And uh, around 2008, like the uh, economy in the U.S. was really bad. I don't know if you guys probably remember. And um, that's when I lost my post-college job. So I was like, I had a sales job outside of college and uh, I was making pretty good money. And I just got on that like earn consume treadmill. Like I was spending my paychecks before they came and I had a brand new car and I had a nice apartment. And, you know, I never really thought too much about uh, what I'd wanted to do with my life. Like when I was a child, like maybe I wanted to be a writer do something cool. I just, you know, I got a job in sales and it paid a lot of money. So I was like, fuck, this is sweet. You know, what were you uh, selling? So like, if you don't mind me asking. Um, I was such shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I worked for a marketing company. Actually, the way it started was I, I was, uh, trying to do stand up comedy in New York city and I needed a job to pay my bills. So my friend got me with this part-time gig for a marketing company and I was doing marketing for Hoover vacuum cleaners. So I would go to like big box retailers and like, make sure all their layouts look good and like the Hoover vacuum like looked the best. But of course this was like pretty uphill battle because obviously Dyson vacuums were like the king, you know, <laughs> we had to make the, make the Hoover look the best. And it was like, you know, kind of a, it didn't feel that good, you know, cause honestly at the end of the day I would have bought a Dyson. You know? nice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's tough not being able to really believe in your product when you're selling it. And I've got experience with that. I had yeah. a similar story. I had a sales job up until 2008 as well. That's funny. That's when I, well, I'd, I was already into poker, but did you get into poker after the sales job or before? After. So this was like 2007. And then like I was interning at Stuff Magazine. I don't know if you remember Stuff. It's kind of like Maxim. Um, and basically uh, my job, my goal was to become a writer. But you know, in these magazines, you don't really write shit. Like people just send you products. You say they're good. Like I really got disenfranchised with the, uh, the industry and the magazine I was working at got bought by some giant media company. So there was no jobs. So it was, it was a pretty shit situation. I was paying to go to school, even though I was done with college, so I could have an internship to get my foot in the door at a company that was closing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I ended up, after that, kind of moving back up to Albany and getting a job full-time at this marketing company that I've been doing the vacuum shit for, mm-hmm. doing, uh, internet mar- doing marketing for a territory for uh, home internet service, like this Verizon Fios, which is like faster than uh, cable internet. And that was actually... Really cool product, but uh, I love BIOS. Yeah, BIOS <laughs> yeah. is sick. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we only had DSL, and DSL is not so sick. No. Um, so you know, I had to come up with that integrity issue too. Like you know, I never really wanted to sell somebody something unless I thought it was really good for them. 
And, uh, but you know, in sales, there's like, just sell the fucking thing, you know? And I didn't like this mentality, but, uh, you know, I love the people I work with. I mean, you know, it is what it is, but in 2008, even though I was doing really well at my job, like the economy fucking shit the bed. And after that, there was no job. Like my boss's boss's boss lost his job. Mm-hmm. So here I was like, uh, going to the pool every day and kind of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, you know? Sure. I was like, okay. So I started to realize, you know, how the fuck I get into this? You know, like why was I selling shit? Like I never, I never dreamed of doing this when I was a kid, you know, I never was like, Oh man, one day I want to grow up and sell, teach people at Best Buy how to sell internet service when they sell a fucking laptop, like get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought at this point I wanted to either become a writer or uh, a poker player. Cause I'd like grown up playing card games. I'd seen people on TV, like, you know, uh, make a lot of money playing, like, uh, playing poker who had been like magic players. And I was like a magic dork when I was a teenager. Ah, so I grew up like, <laughs> yeah, so I played magic cards since I was 11, you know, I obviously got all the girls and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, so <laughs> I, uh, I, I figured like, Oh, if these magic dorks make money at poker, like I should make money at poker. Like it'll just happen. Right. And I was, I was playing online. I was like playing one table, $5 tournaments, I had a really good graph, but I mean, I was making pennies an hour, you know? Sure. And, uh, I was also trying to blog and write, but I wasn't making very much money at that either, you know, pennies. And then one day somebody made fun of me. They were like, you know, they made fun of how I played. Uh, and I didn't really understand the terms they used. They called me like a donkey and they said that I was playing like minus EV and bad ICM, which, you know, for people in poker, uh, this means like, uh, it's not really important, but like these are like vocabulary terms. If you're a professional, you you understand. And then, you know, well, donkey. I mean, it's just like a not very nice. But uh, <laughs> EV is expected. EV is expected value, and ICM is like a, a equity model. But anyway, so I didn't know what any of this shit meant. So I googled all these three of these terms. Like I literally googled donkey with like poker. <laughs> poker donk. And I, yeah, uh-huh. I, and I found some article that explained that you could make ten dollars an hour playing four four tables of sit and goes on the internet, like with rake back and using software. I didn't know about any of this shit. And, uh, I started doing that cause I, at the time, $10 an hour was like good money. I just got laid off, you know? Yeah. And six months later I was making more than I used to make at my job. And I was like preparing to move to Vegas. So it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. basically once I found out, Hey, this is a shit you can learn like websites that will teach you how to do it. I just absorbed it. I watch videos every day before going to bed and in the morning and I just absorbed poker. And, uh, you know, I moved out to Vegas within a year and I was living in a house with like eight other professional poker players and basically living the dream for the next like two years. Uh, then in 2011, the U.S. government uh, shut down online poker with Black Friday. And that's when like my whole world kind of got flipped upside down. It was like uh, a scene out of a bad movie. I woke up one day and like, you know, I went to log on to Full Tilt Poker and there was just a big picture of a fucking bald eagle giving me the middle finger. <laughs> yep. Everyone remembers Black Friday. That's for sure. Did you have a bunch yeah. of money tied up on there? Yeah, well, luckily, I've been lucky enough to have a massive downswing beforehand. So I'd like won an F-tops and I had like my light, my role was like pretty good. And then I'd been downswinging and I got pretty defranchised with playing for a little while. And then I had like what was like, I had the majority of my role stuck on there and I didn't get it back for about four years. So I was pretty tilting, but I wasn't like, um, I was kind of not in a super thrilled place with poker at the moment. Like I wasn't, I would say I wasn't grateful for the opportunity I even had to be playing online poker until it was like taken away from me, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, Oh fuck. Like, am I going to go work at Tau? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or excess. Right. I was like, Oh, I'm not a fucking nightclub promoter guy. Like get the fuck out of here. So I had to figure out like what I wanted to do. And I was living in Vegas. I had a bunch of friends. I had a, a girlfriend at the time. Like, you know, I, I didn't really want to leave America, uh, especially because, you know, growing up in America, they tell you your whole life, like 
America's best place on earth. America's best place on earth. Oh. Well, what was your so lifestyle was, like while you were playing poker? You were living in the house with a bunch of poker dorks, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, my friends were cool. I, I mean, everybody, I wouldn't say they were all poker dorks at all. I actually okay. really like all these guys. Um, I mean, I use the poker d- dork term lovingly because we're all kind of dorks, you know. Sure. Uh, if you're I, smart live with, person. I live with poker dorks as well, but we weren't dorks. Yeah. We'd go out and we'd, you know, we yeah, lived in like, PB and we'd, you know, basically we'd play poker uh, most of the time. And then when we weren't, we'd be hitting on girls. So Yeah, this was a <laughs> So, I mean, to t- like our life was a joke. I mean, there was the Amazon guy came like twice a day, every day. Cause we had nine people living in a house with Amazon Prime all making like heaps of money every month with nothing, no responsibilities. Like no one has a, no one in the house had a real job. No one had like, you know, kids or like serious commitments or anything. So everyone just like fucking around all the time. Yep. Like when I was a kid, my parents told me that we could not have a trampoline cause you would like hurt yourself on it. So like we're living in this house in Vegas, we have super high ceilings and a giant living room. We go to like uh, BJ's wholesale club, buy a trampoline, trampoline and put it in the center of the living room. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right, so it wasn't it wasn't too much of a poker dork's house. It sounds like there's a lot of shenanigans going on. <laughs> oh, it was a so, lot of shenanigans. But you had a girlfriend. What was your what was your dating life like? Oh, I didn't have a girlfriend for most of the time that I lived in Vegas. It wasn't till like right before I like it was after Black Friday, I think. I met this girl. She was actually in town for a wedding and uh one of her friends was marrying a poker dork. <laughs> yeah. And uh we like hooked up that weekend and then she started she didn't live there she started like flying out to see me but uh then it was kind of like the situation was after the summer and i didn't think anything at the world series it was like so you want to get a job you want to play live poker or you want to like leave the country and go back to playing online poker and i fancied myself like maybe top 10 in the world at sit and goes at the time which is like you know a pretty lame like I mean, who, no girl's ever going to line up to like fillet you because you're top 10 in the world in sit and goes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a good way to make an income. So that was I, your uh, game. You basically just did sit and goes. Yeah, I played six men and nine men sit and goes. Like I played the steps to the World Series. I remember I won like five, five or six seats like the year before Black Friday. Um, nice. You know, it was like it was decent. Like I, I started out in, you know, $11 and I had to move down to $1 when I first got sit and go wizard and like learn the math. But, you know, I grinded my way up the stakes and I was playing two K's before black Friday. So, you know, I was pretty proud of myself that I like figured out this game. I and mean, to be honest, I was like terrible post-flop player. I just understood ICM back. Like when that was all you needed to know, I was like, Oh, I just go all in when like, it's almost the end of the tournament. I get right. it. Right. <laughs> you know, like I think my stat, my stats were like nine over seven, you know, it's just knit. Okay. But, um, <laughs> so, basically I figured out a way to make money in online poker and I, I was good at it. And then I knew that if I left the country and like studied it again and like got reinvigorated, like now that I actually needed, I had some shortage in my life. I had like lack of money. I had like the fire kind of lit again. I knew I, I had, I thought that I could get my shit back together. It ended up being like quite difficult, but I didn't end up having my most successful year ever in online poker after black Friday. So that was pretty, uh, and where'd you move to? So at first I moved to Australia I remember having this like long talk with my dad because I had I was talking about like you know do I want to break up with this girl and leave the country to play poker and at the end like you know we had like we had fun together let's put it that way you know like this was uh this was girl you take to EDC but maybe not girl you take to meet your parents and uh, gotcha. you know we were having a good what about life. Burning Man can you take her there I, I've actually never been to Burning Man oh, okay. somehow I, I think we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should plan that for sure but uh, yeah I mean this was basically like when i was playing poker she was like in my room watching keeping up with the kardashians and i was just like yeah this is not the wife you know right (laughs) (laughs) so uh and you know like so anyway um 
I, I had been to Australia for the Aussie Millions a couple times, and uh, it was fun place. And I felt like if I went to Mexico, I would feel a little bit like like uh, scared which, for know, your life. <laughs> no, I mean, well, at the time, I maybe thought that. Now that I've been to Mexico, I love Mexico. Yeah, Mexico is great, but it's Mexico. I feel more. Yeah. Let me, I just say right now, I feel more afraid of the police in America than like almost any place I've ever lived in my life. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, 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 <laughs> after I mean, that the boat experience, I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, French, French police were way more chill. Yeah. But uh, you know, after like that feeling you get when you're just driving and like you know, maybe you're going 70 and a 65 and then you notice the car behind you is like a police car. Like that's not normal. Another human being should not be able to make you feel that way. And when you live in Europe, (laughs) like feeling of, Oh my God, I'm (laughs) fucked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you just like, that's not normal. Like who, Mm -hmm. when I was born, like at what point did I consent to like have other people make me feel that way? I don't remember doing that, but, um, yeah, I don't believe in that. But anyway, I mean like, so I just thought I'd feel displaced in Mexico, like, you know, kind of forced out of, like what I would have considered civilization at the time. I don't think this way anymore, but I was, I was pretty fucking ignorant of the world when I was like 25, you know? Yeah. Um, and Canada kind of felt the same. Like I would just like want to be in America, but not just like a play online poker. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, like the thought of the thought of VPNing or like, you know, kind of breaking the rules, so to speak, never really crossed my mind. I mean, I always just thought I'm not that guy. Like I wanted to be able to be honest about what I was doing. I didn't want to have to like live a lie, so to speak. What to be what was VPNing? Like to use a virtual private network to like basically play online poker. Oh, from oh movies. yeah, you didn't you didn't want to play uh, you didn't want to p- play from the U.S. using a right. Yeah, yeah, okay. To be honest, looking back, I think mostly it's like misplaced ego though. Like I wanted to be able to like be open about what I'm doing and like like you know it's like kind of the moral high ground to say there's anything wrong with that. Like if somebody wants to be a private person and they don't want to like, I don't really think it's cheating. You know, like I don't think it's a I wouldn't hold it against somebody for doing that at the time. I just wanted to be able to be open about what I was doing. I've always been kind of like expressive person. So like not being able to be honest or forthright about what I'm doing didn't really fit for my life. But if someone's more private, uh, I don't really think it's wrong to play poker from within the U S I just didn't want to like ever run the risk that like your money can get confiscated if somebody finds out what you're doing, you know, and I didn't sure. want to have to keep it to myself because I, I like what I'm doing. I like to inspire other people. Yeah. So, so where'd you go I in Australia? You went to Melbourne, Sydney, I went to the Gold Coast, actually. I went to live with a bunch of other uh, poker players who had rented a huge house out there. They'd rented some $7,000 a month mansion in fucking the Gold Coast of Australia. And they were going to stake me. It was the first time in my life I ever needed to get staked. But, you know, the U.S. government had kind of confiscated my bankroll. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a lot of options. I think I had 3K to my name at this point. And I was, uh, it, it was not a great time, but I had some, you know, I had very good results. Like I had very good shark scope, so I could get staked pretty easily. Okay. Um, you know, so I stayed with some guys and the thing is they had rented this house. Like I'll leave their names out of the story. Cause it's kind of funny story. They had rented this house before black Friday. So when everyone was doing great in poker and they had, they had a staking operation, like, you know, they're, they're giving people money to play poker with. And, uh, after, then they got there and then black Friday happened and they're living in Australia. And like, all of a sudden they have a lot of trouble getting access to money. Like they it took them a while to get their full tilt funds. Um, and now a $7,000 a month house to stake some people to play like $30 sit and goes on poker stars is not nearly as lucrative a position as it had been before. And they're like not really happy. And the, the people who rent this house to them are like also super tilted. Cause I don't know if you, Australia is pretty by the book, you know? Um, I can imagine dealing with a real estate agent in, uh, in Australia of an, ex, of, you know, a $5 million home as like, like her, the real estate agent dealing with like a fucking, 
professional poker player who maybe didn't have the best uh, <laughs> yeah. social skills. Uh, of skills. It was pretty hilarious. It's not Basically, her uh, usual clientele, that's for sure. No. So my deal was like, as part of my staking deal, like I was just like able to stay there. You know, like they, they, uh, they were, they had the people who were staking me, they had rented this house and I got to live there. Um, but they had gotten into a dispute with the landlord and they owed a bit of money and they were paying it, but it was taking them time to get the money. And they're just like a little bit behind on shit. And my friend, they wanted to get out of the, they wanted to leave. They were sick of Australia. They wanted to go back to the UK. And they kind of went to the woman and they're like, listen, like if we pay up everything that we owe and pay next month in advance, can we leave at the end of the month? And they were not receptive at all. They're like, no, you owe us this money. It should have been paid already. Like, you know, if you want to leave, you can uh, petition to leave and we'll show the house on 24 hours notice. If someone wants to rent it, you'll have 48 hours to vacate and we'll pay you, we'll charge you like a fee. And if not, like you have to stay till the end of the lease. And it was only, they wanted to leave at the end of November and the lease was supposed to end like January 10th. So my friend just goes, he's like, well, he's like, or I could just walk out of this room and you could never see me again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the woman you is can, like, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So she hangs up the phone and immediately calls the owner. He comes home and he's like, Hey guys, uh, he's like, uh, I just got an email and we have to leave. And everyone's kind of like, we're sitting in the fucking living room. We have a giant, like we're playing these sit and goes stacked on a giant, like movie projector. We're all just like sitting grinding away using Xbox controllers. Like we'd all done the math and like sit and go whiz using like a bunch of, like uh, Excel spreadsheets and we'd mathed out like the shoving ranges and these like 10 big blind uh, or these new 25 big blind hyper turbo games on poker stars. And we were all just like, you know, implementing and testing our system. And out of nowhere, this guy is just like, yeah, we got to get the fuck out of here. The owner's coming at 7am tomorrow morning. If they see the house in the state, it's in like, I'm fucking super clean guy, but most people, most poker players I've lived with are uh, a little bit lethargic when it comes to house care. And like these people were going to be fucking tilted. Um, Like the pool was fucking green. You could make Ninja Turtles in there. Like it was problem. (laughs) so um so basically they decide to leave that night they like literally were on the phone and they had flights booked in 20 minutes and they're like james you want to come to it come with us but like i'd only known these guys in real life for a a very short amount of time and in that time they like decided to defraud like a real estate company for like 20k and like leave a country and i was like "Uh, i'm not really sure these are the people i want to like go deeper with (laughs) you know so like for right now um i just spent like 2k of the 5k that i had to my name to come to australia i didn't want to leave so i basically decided to stay the whole situation made me a bit uncomfortable because like you know i probably wouldn't have done that at the time you know so i don't know i don't really know I w- i've never been in that situation so i don't know what i would have done Wait, so you stayed my- in australia or what'd you do i decided to stay in australia but i didn't i know one i knew one person on the whole continent and they lived in brisbane uh so i basically put up um, I went on easy roommate that code uh, it's called a like gum tree. It's something like, it's basically Craigslist of Australia. I just like looked at houses and I found some dude who was trying to rent out his room and I met this guy and he's like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm actually the guy like leaving and I'm just renting out the room I'm staying in the guy who you'll be living with. He's in Cambodia right now, like teaching kids how to read or how to use computers or something, which sounded pretty cool. And the guy had a lot of photos up on the wall, like photos of travel, like you know, I, I saw the guy who would be my roommate and there was like surfboard on the wall and I could basically tell you pretty cool guy. I mean, he's in Cambodia teaching kids how to use computers. There's like pictures of him, like all these travels with like, sure. you know, African Wait, so then what? You, you went to, you went to live with this guy and continue playing poker or you, you switched to something yeah, basically, else? Basically, so I just kept playing poker at, uh, and, um, staked by the same people who had left, uh-huh. but I found an apartment for 150 euro or 150 Australian a week. And I, this was like in November of 2011. 
And I was basically just like, okay, so I'm staying on in surfer's paradise with some random that I didn't know and grinding $30 sit and goes staked, which was a far fucking downfall from, you know, grinding 2k steps to the world series, like living in a mansion in Vegas. I used to own like seven yeah. bedrooms. So, so for someone who doesn't understand poker, that's like, you know, that, that's uh, just to give some perspective. That's like, we call you know. this from the penthouse <laughs> to the outhouse. Exactly. You know? So how long did you do that for? <laughs> About six months. Uh, basically, I was pretty depressed. I didn't know a lot of people. I wasn't like I didn't have much money. Australia's pretty expensive country. I wasn't in the greatest shape because I was like really stressed about work and I was trying to play poker. I was like, um, I was having trouble focusing because I, you know, hadn't played online poker in a long time and I'd kind of like, you know, gotten out of some of my good habits. And, uh, this was actually right around the time I started learning to meditate cause I was trying to, uh, I needed to focus better. And, uh, the, uh, I had previously taken, uh, supplements for focusing, uh, in America that were, you know, Adderall basically. And, uh, at the time this was not something that the rest of the world, uh, sold. So I had to learn to focus basically on my own, which is one of the things I'm most thankful for that happened in my life. I mean, I think Adderall is dog shit and they, like, there's no way kids should be prescribed fucking amphetamines when they're five years old. Um, I basically, I don't believe in this shit at all. I think it's nonsense. I mean, obviously if you give someone fucking speed, they're going to be smarter, but, uh, you know, it's not good for them. And, um, Australia now prescribes Adderall and Ritalin just like the U S but, uh, at the time it didn't. So I actually had to learn to focus like on my own cause I wasn't going to be able to like kind of keep up the old way. And, uh, it's funny because my doctor gave me like this script for 270 Adderall, which he for sure was not supposed to do before I left the country because he knew I wouldn't be able to get it back. And I actually like happy to say like six years later, I still have like the pills from that script because I never finished them because hmm. just found you don't need that shit to focus. Yeah. Like it's kind so of, what did you do? T- tell me, tell us about that. How'd you, how'd you train yourself to focus without the drugs? I basically like, I got in, I read this book on like how to meditate. Like there was nothing out there at the time that's as good as Headspace is now. Like Headspace is fucking amazing. If you want to learn how to meditate, like I would make a better app, but this one is so good that I don't like see the need yet. Maybe I'll get involved on one in the future, but I'd love I, to yeah, meet I'm, a, I'm a fan of Headspace as well. Andy's awesome guy. Like if you hear a podcast with him on, like he's he was a Buddhist monk for 10 years. Like he's a fucking cool guy. And um yeah, I just think Headspace is really great, but it didn't exist at the time. So I had to learn the fucking analog way. I would just go to the fucking, go to the gold, go to the ocean at night, like go to the beach and just kind of like watch the water and just try to like zone out and not really think about anything. And I didn't really understand, like I was kind of like listening to life and trying to like get life to teach me how to meditate. I was going through a really like difficult time emotionally, you know, like I, uh, I basically didn't have, like I was used to having, I had gotten used to having a girl in my life again and now I didn't and I was on a different time zone from all of my friends. So I wasn't really keeping up very much with family or with friends. Cause you know, when you're in Australia and most of your friends in America, it's like a fucking different day. And basically everyone in my life at this point was new. Like everyone in my life had been there less than six months. So I mean, it actually worked out super fucking cool. I mean, the guy I ended up living with, his name is Nick. Like he's, uh, his son is now my godson. And I go to Australia like every couple of years and like see the, he, he, uh, it's funny story. Like he was living with this, like I was living with him and he introduced me to this big circle of friends. And one of the girls in that circle of friends was like, uh, you know, just friend of his, it was actually like his friends, like 
ex-wife and like that guy like fucked off and like they had remained friends somehow and then like you know they were just friends and they used to take me to do stuff and like you know go hiking they were all trying to get me out of my fucking poker den and make me go do stuff you know make me climb mountains and go hiking and i was just like you know mortified by all this shit because i just like was trying to like stay in a box and just play poker because at the time not having a lot of money made me feel like not good enough as a person because i had like attached so much of my self-image to the success i had previously attained Sure. And, uh, yeah, these people ended up like years after I left Australia getting married and having kids. Now those kids are my godchildren. So it's a pretty fucking cool story. You said you were, uh, not in the best shape either. What, uh, cause you're in great shape now. What, uh, thank you, Robert. What were you, uh, <laughs> what were you I wasn't looking like? Sad. I mean, I, I, I was like super in shape now that summer I was living in Vegas. Um, cause like basically after, after poker, like online poker got banned, like my life was just like going to the gym and going out and like occasionally playing live poker uh, yeah. and like occasionally playing computer games and shit, which I don't do at all anymore. I don't recommend it. But uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. So you weren't in terrible shape, but I wasn't in awful shape. I was going to the gym and stuff. Just it was like my mood was down, you know, like I was going to the gym, not because like life is sweet and I want to look good for it. I was going to the gym because like maybe this is going to make me happy. You know, I was coming from that like mentality where like everything I'm doing is like hopefully going to cheer me up. And like, you know, you cannot be happy this way. You can only be happy by like being happy and then like you just do everything from a state of happiness. You can't do anything to make you happy because if you're doing things to make you happy, then you're not fucking happy. True. So so after meditation or when you kind of learned to focus better, what, what, what came next? After six months in Australia, my visa was going to be ending. I wanted to go back. I just missed people from home. Like it was too much change, too radically, too fast. Just be on another side of the world. Like I really thought I'm never going back to America. And, and I, it turned out that's true. <laughs> but um, I, I always knew like I had an English passport. I was born in England. And my family moved to the U.S. when I was a kid. And I knew England didn't tax online poker. So if I would just decide, fuck America, I'm not American anymore, and give up my green card because I was never a citizen, then I wouldn't have to pay taxes on poker, which would be sweet, you know? Um, of course, I never actually came to I, – I did make this decision finally about fucking – maybe fucking three weeks ago. So now I am a U.S. – Nothing. I, I'm a U.S. visitor. I'm an English citizen uh, so living in Hungary. Can you go to the U.S. for three months at a time? Um, for, you know, whatever. For one Just year. Not more. Not more than. No, I think I can visit twice in a year. I think I'd be there six months out of the year. I cannot okay. live there. Gotcha. You know? and I can't like border hop to reset it. Well, you know, it's fine for me. Like only my mom, my dad, my sister, uh, my stepmom, and my my sister's husband and his family live there. And then, of course, my friends. But like, I don't have like a huge family in America and like, I don't have everyone in all one place anyway. So like now that I've actually given it up, I'm, it's more free to travel for me because like, like my friends from high school are getting together this, um, actually this is supposed to be a secret. So I, I, they're probably not listening to this trip, any, this uh, podcast anyway, <laughs> but, uh, I, I'm going to see, I'm going to see some friends and like before I would like always be nervous about coming into the country cause there was, you know, I had to basically like make like I live in America and I'm just been traveling a lot, which was true. But like, you know, I'm also like, I'm kind of not really living there. I'm not really living anywhere. But as I traveled, I started to really like Hungary and really want to be living here or, or in Europe in general. I just really like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm small coffee guy. I'm not Starbucks guy anymore. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sparkling water guy. I'm not like soda waters for pussies kind of guy anymore. You know, like I'm also growing up in America. Um, <laughs> wait, so Real quick about Hungary, because I, I first went to Hungary, I think, in 2011 or 2012, and I fell in love with uh, Budapest, and uh, basically been 
I've been back to Budapest every single summer since. This might be the first but summer I don't go. Not since we've been friends. It's <laughs> true. Um, but what made you? What made you choose Budapest in that part of Central Eastern Europe? It was super random, honestly. Um, I just real quick want to touch on like basically when I left Australia, my friend gave me this book, which is a very famous book, The Alchemist. Oh yeah. And it's I mean, The Alchemist is a super good book. I recommend it to anyone who hasn't read it. It's like four hours long. But the reason I bring it up this important is because you asked me like what came after meditation and the thing that came after meditation, the like next most important thing in turning my life like to happy to the place it is now where it's like unshakable foundation of just being happy was reading. Uh, I read The Alchemist on the plane on the flight from uh, Australia to Mexico, which was the next place that I went. And, uh, you know, in two stops, we ended up in Hungary. And basically like that book ignited the idea in my head that I like to read. I was like, that was a fucking good book. It spoke to me at the time. It was the right book, right time. You know, really, like, I think for anyone listening, like, if someone recommends a book to you and you don't resonate with it, like, it's okay. Like, put it down. Maybe you'll resonate with it later. But, like, when you find a book and it's the right time in your life and it's the right book and you get that effect, it makes you realize that, like, reading's your friend. And when you realize <laughs> reading is your friend, the whole fucking world opens up, you know? I couldn't so, agree more. And Alchemist, uh, I had a very similar experience. So for anyone who's listening and who hasn't read The Alchemist, pick it up, you know, read it on your iPhone, and I think you'll uh, have a similar experience to James and I too. Yeah, so many amazing life metaphors in that book. You got to go fucking see the pyramids though, basically. And the glass and the fucking spoon, man, that, that's what it's all about right there. But yeah, basically I ended up in Hungary because I was in Mexico for two months and like it wasn't the most chill situation. Like, my we were supposed to have a car but my friend like fucking crashed it the uh, a week before i arrived and this is like living with poker players <laughs> my friend crashed the fucking car we were supposed to have so now we had to take a taxi just like go to the gym um so it was pretty tilt like i didn't have the access to like i think i could have had a much better lifestyle in mexico but i was in cabo which is like not really mexico it's like you know i don't like touristy places as much i mean after vegas and the gold coast i was ready for a place that was a bit more i don't know one day it settled somewhere you know um, I have a lot of friends at Playa and I'm going to go visit them this winter and I'm super excited. I think it'll be great. I love Mexico. I learned how to make guacamole there. I want to bring this gift to Hungary cause there's no good Mexican food here. Um, so Mexico is amazing, but, uh, for me, I just ended up in Europe because after Mexico, I went to Vancouver and I uh, lived in Canada for a while and I have some fucking hood stories from Canada, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> maybe for the next show. <laughs> yeah. Canada had some interesting escapades, but after seven months in Canada, like the weather, like summer in Canada is beautiful. If you can go to Vancouver in the summertime, like it's for sure great. But once the sun goes down in winter, it doesn't come up until spring. And I'm like sunlight guy. Like I'm like Superman. I need the sun's fucking blue rays in my fucking eyes to be happy. Um, I mean, it's just like, it's my fuel, you know? So I really like didn't appreciate the fact that the sun goes away for the entire winter. Like it just, it gets to me. So I don't call it seasonal affective disorder or whatever. It's bullshit. Like I just, I want to be in a sunny place. What I don't want to hungry. That's not too sunny in the, in the winter. Well, I, I think the trick is just to leave. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So you're not but, in Budapest uh, in the winter. No, uh, for sure. January to March, like get the fuck out of here. Uh, I tried to be here. I, I did it. It actually is a big like turning point in the life when I got to the point where I could say, you know what? If I'm in Hungary for the winter, it's because I chose to be and I choose not to be. Because, you know, like as a poker player, your income's pretty volatile. And there were definitely years where I was living in Hungary where I wanted to go travel the world in the wintertime and go like South America. But it didn't really I couldn't really swing it, you know, because like maybe it wasn't like the best time in my career. You know, maybe I had to grind hard. So um, 
the reason I came to Budapest in the first place was basically I had this guy who was uh, investing in me. I had like new backers at this time. And uh, this is actually the last time I was ever staked because uh, once I got my own money again, uh, I could just play from it. But because of the whole like recovery from Black Friday for the next six months, I had to have investors. And then the next year. So my, my investors were really happy with me. Like I did really well for them. So he, he wanted me to come out to Budapest. And uh, he just told me, listen, because I'm living in Vancouver. It's fucking expensive. You know, our, we paid like 3,200 fucking Canadian for, I don't remember how small our apartment was, but it was like a shoebox basically, like two bedroom shoebox. It was cool. It had like glass windows and stuff. It was high rise, but it was tiny. And um, basically my friend said to me, come to Hungary. The cost of living is low. The food is excellent. And the girls are super hot. And I was like, all right, so fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was 26 and uh, good food and hot chicks was like, uh, that's not for me. Cost of living is low. Cool. I didn't actually expect to like it. I mean, my experience of Europe was like being a kid in England when I was like three. Uh, one trip back to England for my grandma's funeral when I was a teenager. Um, and like, you know, it was cool, but it didn't feel like my culture. And I really didn't think I was going to like it. I never lived in a non-English speaking country. Um, I guess besides Mexico, it doesn't really count. Um, I mean, Hungarian is a very different culture to anywhere I'd lived before. And like, you know, when I first arrived, I remember it's fucking pathetic looking back on, but like, and I'm in the taxi from the airport going through all these communist districts. I'm like, where the fuck am I? And then I get to like where I'm going to be living and I see a Starbucks and a fucking KFC and I felt safe. <laughs> and that's pretty sad, you know? Yeah. But um, so then you're, so you're in Budapest and, and you're now you're playing poker there. Yeah. And uh, you paid back all, in, all your investors. So now all the money coming in is yours, right? Yeah, basically, I came to Hungary in like a, a pretty good spot financially and like snap lost like 90K, which oh, was shit. in like three weeks, okay. which was uh, not that fun. Okay. Um, I was like, I basically took a month off. And I think like during that time, I kind of like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of variance in poker, but like I've been doing really well for a long time. And I, I had this typical problem that happens to people when they kind of like start drinking their own Kool-Aid, like. I stopped doing some of the work that like got me like I had to claw my way from like $30 games all the way back up to the high stakes that I used to play. And I did that. And it was because I worked my fucking ass off. You know, like I was studying. I mean, I, basically, when I lived in Vancouver, I woke up, studied poker, played poker, went to eat lunch at sushi, came home, studied poker, played poker, went to dinner at sushi, came home, played poker, went to sleep. You know, yeah. like I, I didn't really have much life outside of like going out to eat with my roommate and like occasionally going out on the weekends. But like, I worked a lot. Like I probably worked 60 hours a week, you know, uh, and in Mexico as well. Like we went out a lot <laughs> in Mexico. My roommate goes, listen, there's nothing to do here, but drink. So you have to go out every day. So, uh, probably you want to drink every day. Cause that way you won't get hangovers. You'll be able to play the next day. If you don't drink every day, you're not committed. You're going to get hangovers. You're not gonna be able to perform at your job. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like fucking successful guy too. Who said this to me? I don't recommend this to any of my clients or my poker players these days, but, uh, you know, listen, I had to, uh, I had to fall down and skin my knees a few times before I could become a coach, you know, of course. but, um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry, I forget the question. Oh, no, uh, so you were saying you were, you had lost 90 K and you took a month off. Yeah, I was in like lazy. a bad spot. And, um, when I got to Hungary, like, I think my ego, like my confidence was higher than my skills. Like other people had been in like, you know, working really hard and it's selling at the game. And like, you know, I got uncomfortable basically. And, uh, I had to like rebuild once again, like a third time. Um, I mean, this is very typical of poker players. Like basically I, I like to use the t phrase stick the landing. 
because people will like get up to high stakes and then they'll like get comfortable and get complacent and then they will stop being good anymore and they'll turn into like you know i was probably one of the best players in the high stakes games when i first got into them but then by the time i like had to step down from them and like recognize like how much like it's not even that your own skills deteriorate to other people get better right you know people work fucking hard people are hungry you yeah. know and um especially now that i'm in europe and like we have a team now like uh i coach for uh, best in the business staking and we have guys from like you know countries where the economic opportunities aren't as good as they are in like you know the u.s like people in fucking romania like these guys are working fucking hard like in hungary the guys who you know you can make 20 dollars an hour in hungary you're making a lot of fucking money you know the average salary in this country is like uh maybe a thousand euros a month uh in in kiev you know in ukraine like we've got guys in ukraine it's 200 euros a month you know like so the opportunity that you can make money in online poker is still a super lucrative, incredible opportunity that can change the life of not just you, but like your family for generations to come in certain parts of the world. And like, just cause Americans are, you know, you know, I get lazy cause I've, you know, my fallback was always a job that paid like, you know, mid five figures, but someone else whose fallback was, you know, making $2 an hour, they're willing to fucking die for that money. So, you know, people, people work hard and people got really good. And, uh, I had to rebuild again and I ended up like getting really behind, uh, behind pace. It's like VIP level on poker stars called supernova elite. And I was super far behind my target for this because basically like my first year in Hungary, it didn't go well poker wise. And I was starting to kind of like feel like maybe I don't want to play poker anymore. It, it, like I knew I could just study my ass off, get good again. And like I'd win again. Like it was never a question. It's just like when you're sitting there and you're studying the math between like, do I go all in with queen two or queen three here? You know, is queen three suited good enough or do I need queen four suited enough? Uh, suited <laughs> like these like little meticulous decisions. It's the, I heard the voice in my head kind of being like, you know, some people love this shit. I don't like, I can do it, but I could do it. Like maybe I could do a lot of things, but you know, when you have a, when you have a dream in life, like I dreamed of like doing something cool with my life, like something unique, an online poker player fit that bill. I can't, I became aware for the first time that like, you know, once I had a goal of like doing something cool, like not going and getting a nine to five working for somebody else. And then I did it. I assumed that meant I'd made it in life. And for the rest of life, I've made it, you know, like I decided poker player. Most people told me not to do that. That's crazy. I did it. It worked out. So now for the rest of my life, I get to be like successful online poker player and life is easy for me. I win the game. And it turns out it's not like that. It's not that easy. And I be- no, like apparently not. <laughs> oh shit. It turns out like maybe I was going to have to make a pivot, like to jump again, to like take another risk. And like, you know, once you've kind of climbed a mountain that most people don't climb, you kind of assume you get to hang out at the top forever. And I realized like, no, like maybe I need to like be broke again. Maybe I need to like let go of like, you know, cause you get attached to who you believe you are. Um, well I did at that time in my life. I probably wouldn't so much now. Um, but you know, I'm still human. I still have an ego and to some extent I for sure still would, but, um, you know, you get pretty attached to your belief of who you are based on what you've accomplished in life. And the idea that like, I'm not this person, I'm not like high stakes poker player guy. Like what? Like how, but that, you know, where all all the girls be lining up to fuck me, (laughs) which, (laughs) which, uh, if any of you have not been high stakes poker player guy, like this does not happen. Don't worry. You didn't miss out on the pussy train. (laughs) You definitely did not miss much. (laughs) Unless you come on some boat trips with poker guys, Bitcoin guys, and and former pickup <laughs> artists, then we have yeah. a different conversation. But yeah. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> it's about being the guy who becomes the thing, whatever it is they want to become, not the thing, you know. Exactly. You, but anyway, 
so yeah, fuck it. Like I, uh, I recognized I would have to, like, I started getting the seeds planted that maybe I want to do something else, but I didn't do it right away. And it was weird. I remember like being like pretty down in my luck in poker and kind of thinking like, well, if I play and I break even, that's not good. If I play and I lose, I'm going to feel stuck. Like I have to keep playing. And if I play and I win, then like I'm going to keep playing because it's like positive reinforcement. <laughs> so um, if it goes well, I won't stop. If it goes badly, I can't stop. And if it, if it stays the same, I'm wasting my fucking time. But I still, I don't know. I didn't really have a, a vision on what else I wanted to do yet. So I just kept playing poker because it's like for sure I can make way more money at that than anything else. And uh, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't ready to be broke. Um, so I, I ended up making a bet with a friend of mine, like a, the guy who runs BitBee actually, this guy Patrick Leonard, he's a fucking prolific high stakes online poker player, one of the best in the world. Um, he, at the time, was not as famous as he is now. And he was just like my buddy Patrick, who lives in Budapest. And he booked a bet between me and another friend of mine on whether or not I could still accomplish like my January one goal for the year. It was like October and I was supposed to have played a full-time work equivalent at reasonable stakes of poker. If you like play a certain amount of poker, you get like a VIP reward level or at least you used to. And it was worth quite a lot of money. And I was way behind because, you know, when you lose a bunch of money and you have to like work a lot just to be less broke like than you are now and like be still more broke than you started the year at, your motivation gets low, especially if you had the mindset that I had at the time. So I, I hadn't really been applying myself that much this year. You just hadn't been putting in the time. Yeah, this was like 2012. and um, Or no, sorry, 2013, I think. I, I hadn't, like, I was way behind. I was not, like, on my grind. You know, some, sometimes you're going through a phase in life where you're busting your ass and you're, like, you know, reaching your goals. I was kind of, like, in a consolidation period of, like, accepting my fucking falling on my face. And it, I recognized, like, I was really fucked and I wasn't going to reach this goal and that was going to cost me even more money. But I still like thought I could do it. I just knew I wasn't going to. And this other guy starts being, he's like, you know, you like physically can't, you're like way too far behind. And I was like, no, I could do it. I just like, probably it's not going to happen. And he's like, no, no, for sure you can't. And you know, he has an ego. He's a guy as well. And it kind of gets involved and my friend speaks up. He's like, why don't you guys bet on it? So we end up betting like basically my seven K to pick up his 20 that I can put in a half a year's volume of poker in like 73 days. So I had to play like 14 tables of poker 12 hours a day for 68 of the remaining 73 days left in the year in order to win this bet. That's a lot of poker. Which was fucking shit. (laughs) But it was going to double the like financial reward I would get for hitting the target. So it was going to basically like if I did this, which I knew I physically like theoretically I can do it, and I'm a good player, like I'm a winning player. So if I play, I should win anyway. And if I play a lot, I'm more likely to win because the more you play, like the more you cut through variance and the more likely you are to like have a winning result. So I knew if I did this, I have everything on my side to like kind of t- turn around my financial life. So I did it. I like basically I had to do everything GTO as possible. And for you guys who don't know, GTO is this acronym. It means game theory optimal, but it means to do something the way that like if you were going to do it infinite times would be the best way to do it. And you had to live your whole life GTO basically to win this bet. Yeah. Cause I had to be playing poker 14 hours a day and like your mind can't really fucking handle that. So I was like waking up, meditating for 30 minutes. I was, then I would do a study session. I would review the day's hands before then I would, um, I learned a lot about myself during this time. I mean, I learned I had to go for walks just outside just to get fresh air to like keep my sanity. I had to, 
converse. I had to like make it a point to talk to people because if you don't speak with other people, you like really start to like kind of lose it. Like your mind loses resiliency. So I actually didn't understand that like staying home and grinding and working seven, seven days a week is going to be less effective than working like five days a week and going out at least once and socializing. You don't have to drink, but like going out and talking to people, going to like maybe even a nightclub or just going out to a bar, going out, you know, it doesn't have to be, it can be a park. It doesn't fucking matter, but going out and speaking with people and socializing will actually give you more resiliency and your brain will be better able to like adapt to challenges. Like you cannot suffocate yourself and like more is not always more. Basically because I came from, I, I used to wrestle in high school and I had this like mentality, like, you know, you have to like outwork everybody and like, you know, whoever stays in the practice room doing pushups for fucking longer is the one who's going to win the match. And eventually in life you realize this isn't actually true. Like, yes, you have to work hard. Yes. Like, you know, if you're lazy, you're not going to do well. And yes, if you work harder than somebody else, but it's not just harder, it's smarter. And sometimes working smart means like knowing that if you don't exercise, your body learns to have less energy and then you can't do as much. And if you don't meditate or you don't walk outside, you don't have conversations with people, you don't hug people, you don't create oxytocin, you don't have friendships, you don't have, you know, meaningful platonic male friendships in your life. You don't have like, you know, connection with your family. Like these things actually fucking matter a lot. And to be a top performer, it's not about like who sacrifices the most and has like the shittest life because they bleed and fucking sweat and tears for it and they get deserve to win. It's not about deserving. There's no like fucking, you know, this uh, idea of like, oh, I, I invested the most, therefore I should win. Like who invested their money the smartest? Who invested their energy the smartest, their time? Who basically managed their life the best? That's who's going to get the best result. And I had to manage my life pretty close to flawlessly. I mean, obviously I made a bunch of mistakes, but I learned from them and I was constantly uh, correcting course. And one thing I remember reading during this time, during this bet, which of course I ended up winning and uh, it did you know, really help my life and it was kind of the genesis for the coaching I do now because in order to like do the bet, I had to connect with people. So I started making video blogs just about, it was supposed to be about poker, but it ended up just being about whatever the fuck was on my mind because I just needed some creative outlet because otherwise just staying in a room for 14 hours a day grinding poker was going to make me insane. So you're video blogging while you're playing? I video blogged like most, most days like just like talk about what i was experiencing because it's not normal to shut yourself in a room for like the majority of a day and like focus on little computerized gambling tables no (laughs) and then like go for a walk outside for the purpose of like i think i need outside (laughs) you know what i mean like i would leave the house every three days for the purpose of like leave the house because i don't want insane yeah Yeah. and like i would speak to someone because i'm like "Mm, human interaction good (laughs) and um I was doing like intermittent fasting and I did ketosis. I, I tried all these fucking different things. You know, I did IF, I did keto, I did paleo, I did CrossFit, I did like, you know, meditation, of course. Um, I, I learned a lot about myself, like what works, what doesn't work, which rules are real rules, which rules you can break. But one of the things I remember hearing that really stuck with me is that like a lot of people, they try to do things a certain way and when it doesn't work, they throw out everything and they try to do something in a whole new way. And this makes no fucking sense. Like if you're trying to do things and you have a program and like something's not working, you should hold most of the variables consistent and change like one or two variables, you know, probably one at a time uh, and see if that brings you the results. And I mean, if your whole process is fucked and everything you're doing sucks, yeah, okay, throw it out and like let someone who maybe knows better than you, you know, if you have a coach or a mentor, let someone else give you a new framework. But if you've been managing your life pretty well for a while and things are going well and you want to just step it up, 
you, you know, you got to change things in an intelligent way, like change one variable at a time and see what works for you. And that's kind of what I did. I tweaked and optimized my process. I learned so much about sleep, about blue light, about hormones, about all this stuff. I mean, Joe Rogan just had a guy on like, uh, a couple of months ago who talked about sleep. He was like a sleep expert. And he told, he dropped all these like knowledge bombs about like blue light and hormones and melatonin and how all this shit like helps you recover in the, in the night. And if you don't have like proper eye protection, if you're staring at a computer screen, it's going to like keep you awake and impact your sleep quality and all this stuff. And I already knew all this stuff because I learned it five years ago because I had to, to like fucking survive this challenge. So like having this, uh, uncomfortable period in my life really forced me to learn a lot of the programs I've been coaching other people on for the last two years, coaching at a, a stable that basically trains people to be the best in the world at multi-table tournaments wow. for poker. That's a crazy bet. And trust me, I'm no uh, foreigner or whatever to crazy bets. I, I did a crazy weight loss bet way back in the day and, and lost like 60 pounds and so tons of buddy, you know, because I come from the poker world as well. So, you know, prop betting is part of the game. But playing that much poker and holding yourself up in a poker dungeon and playing, what was it, 78 days out of 83 or something? That's the 68 out of 73. Fuck. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, was not, uh, I wasn't exactly getting laid very often during this time either. I think I had sex exactly like one occasion <laughs> fucking three months. I you didn't build any, also... uh, in, any prostitution into the model? You didn't build like, you know, every 15 days have a nice Hungarian? Uh... <laughs> no, no. Romanian no Ross in this time of my life. <laughs> but uh, I actually did no fap during this time. I went 43 days, I think, without a uh, wow. release. Was that good for your uh, energy levels or focus or anything? I mean, honestly, I th- at the time, like based on the podcast I was listening to at the time, I'm pretty sure I thought GTO was like maybe once every two weeks this release. Uh, Mark Manson says once every week, like, you know, some Zen, like kind of Buddhist tradition say like once a month. I don't know what GTO for performances, like how many times in a, in a, in a month or a week or whatever a guy should ejaculate. But, uh, you know, there are things in life more you know, what the fuck is the point of performance if you can't enjoy your life, you know? Sure. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think at the time that you're like, you know, I'm going to like have sex with my girlfriend and stop before I finish because like I want to perform better at my job tomorrow. I think you might be taking it too far to the point of like neuroticism, but uh, yeah, I think so you know, too. feel free to experiment. Um, <laughs> you got to maybe be neurotic for a little while to like find your way back to center. You know, like I think in anything you got to go, you got to cross the line to figure out where the line is, you know? And I've done, I've crossed a lot of lines in my life, for sure. Speaking of ejaculation, just to quickly change gears, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how many times do you think I, you ejaculated that's a, that's last week? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> a gentleman never tells, but uh, this, I mean, I've I, got my over under on you. Let's see. I would say three a day times <laughs> seven days, at least twenty one times. I, I I would put the over under on nineteen. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. I was having too much fun to count, you know? So, <laughs> but, uh, if you were to go back I, uh, and, uh, and do it, that would be my over-under anyways. Yeah. I think you win the award for the most, I would guess. But uh, Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the people listening, we were on a boat with um, a bunch of Playboy models in the south of France. And, you know, needless to say, people were having a lot of sex. So that's that's why I bring it up. But uh, anyways, <laughs> back to the, the, uh, the other conversation. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be the greatest segue of all time uh, on the topic of ejaculation. Speaking of ejaculation, <laughs> uh, uh, so you're 
so after the bet, and, and that's that's an amazing, you know, just thing to go through. You know, that's life changing for sure. I remember the the weight loss bet I did lasted about three months, and um, it radically changed my life. So any intense period like that, boot camp or I don't know, going to war, just doing something that's so outside your comfort zone, I think is such a crazy experience that can definitely change your life. So what what did you you know what happened after that? Fuck. I mean, the trouble was, and the, the trouble was that my self image was still always predicated on what I've done. You know, so. Now, I, like the story kept getting built, you know, now I'm poker guy who's on top again, you know, I went through this thing, I'm successful guy again, you know, and but like my self image was still like kind of and how much did you win if you don't mind me asking? I think I made like 80k over the like, uh, did that include the um... 20 from the bet 20 from the uh, like 20 from the year end bonus and like 40k from uh, the playing. So I, I increased increased my net worth by like 80k, um, which was like a 800% increase. So it was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so basically I, then I got into a relationship that was like, not very, uh, I dated somebody with borderline personality disorder. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it was, uh, it was super not GTO. And, um, you know, I, I got into like a relationship I didn't really need to be in. And then I got into immediately into another relationship. And the problem was at this point in my life, a lot of my self image was still kind of propped up on like how much money am I making and like how much am I getting laid and like who is the hottest girl I fucked, you know? <laughs> and uh, this is like, I think something like, you know, when you're a hero growing up is like Stifler from American Pie, it's not a surprise that this is like where you end up in life. <laughs> but uh, I kind of lacked a really good uh, male role model growing up. I mean, I, I had them in high school. Like my wrestling coaches were great. I mean, no, not everything they taught me was like maybe turned out to be right in performance science, but like, you know, I had good role models and like, I just kind of oscillated between like goody two shoes, like trying to be like the, the good boy that I'm supposed to be. And then like complete degenerate, you know, um, never really finding the line and like knowing like who I believe a man should be and like what I think is right and wrong. Like always kind of like society tells you one thing and your nature is telling you another one. So like you try to like do everything right and be well behaved and then you don't get the reward you want and then you fuck off and you do everything wrong and then you feel shit about yourself and like, you know, life was kind of going this way for a while and I had one relationship and then I had another relationship immediately after with a girl who like, she really fit my archetype for like the kind of girl like maybe uh, eluded me. Like this girl was like, I feel it's not fair to her, you know, she is a person, not an archetype, you know, but in my mind, I think this girl was like, every girl that was ever too good for me, you know, sure. like she was like super hot. And, um, I mean, she was a cool girl. She's a great girl, you know, to this day, like we don't really talk, but you know, I wish her the best and I like her. Um, but she, uh, she was like, a, you know, important person in my life because basically we had this relationship that started out super intensely and then it ended in fucking disaster, you know, mm -hmm. where you're like super happy for three months and super miserable for like a year. <laughs> and, uh, when it, when it ended, like, it was like, I call it the bandaid on the ax wound. Like I started to realize there was something wrong internally. And I, I knew deep down it was like a feeling of not being good enough, like never being good enough for myself. Like when I was living in Vancouver, uh, a former girlfriend of mine had told me on the phone one day, she was like, James, like, you ever hear the way you talk to yourself? She's like, it's like you hate yourself. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Don't be a pussy, you know? <laughs> and she's like, well, like, 
you're like living in Vancouver. You're like, you know, you're playing online poker. You're making 20 K a month. Like, why are you so unhappy with yourself? Like, why is nothing ever good enough for you? Like, don't you ever like appreciate like what you're doing? And I was just like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, right. I, I was actually a cool point in my life. I mean, that was when I was like first discovering the magic of audiobooks. And I would like walk every morning and listen to audiobooks and meditate and then like play poker. And I was, you know, doing my GTO everything back then too. Like still adjusting the framework, trying to figure out the where the balance is and where the line's supposed to be. But uh yeah, so the when this happened, I found myself like rock bottom. You know, I, for six months I was like Ooh, like not in a good place in life. Um, I mean, I was like, I wouldn't say I was like suicidally depressed because I like obviously I like knew I wasn't going to kill myself, but I didn't like know how. I was like, I would wake up every day and I'm just like, how do I get to the end of the day? I would wake up, I would meditate for 30 minutes, and I would go to CrossFit and work out, which I don't do CrossFit anymore, but at the time of my life, it was the right exercise for me. And then I would come home and basically like spend the rest of the day on the couch do some audiobook li- listening and a whole lot of crying. Like I'm not ashamed to say I probably cried like an average of five times a day for like six months. I was fucking, hmm. I had a lot of shit to go through. Were you intentionally trying to go through emotions to move through pain? Yes and no. Okay. Like there's like, I, what I believe about sadness is there's times when like, you know, you have the choice, you know, do I, do I fucking get up and go outside the house and do shit and talk to people or do I like go to the couch? But like when your mind has been in a bad place for a long time, like I was really unhappy for the whole of 2015. So like I got out of the relationship in a really bad place. So your mind is conditioned and like the old habits are really strong of like going the seeing things in a negative way. Like the reason I can coach people on their mindset and teach people how to think in a way that's going to make them happy is because like how poorly my mind was conditioned and like from the fucking shit that I had to like rebuild it to be happy. Cause I spent a great deal of my life believing there was something wrong with me. Like believing that, you know, my brain is fucked and I have depression. I'll be sad forever. And you know, it turns out if you believe it, it's true. But if you don't believe it, it's not true. You know, it's like all these things, like they're self-fulfilling prophecies. If you think you're depressed, okay, good luck being happy. But if you decide that you're happy, you know, no one's going to make you fucking depressed. So wait, I'm, I'm a little confused how this related to the end of the relationship. I had a lot of things inside. I'd always known, like I'd always had this kind of dreamer mentality that like I should do something big with my life. And I always like believe like life is big and amazing. You should do it, live it that way and that you should do something, you know, great. Like I always like idolized people like Steve Jobs, uh, even like Jay Leno, like growing up as a kid. And I always wanted to like be in front of people like Tony Robbins. Like uh, I always like wanted to do something great. And when I first got together with this girl, the, the really, really pretty one, I wanted to kind of turn away from poker. I had my going, I had had a relationship after the bet before her and it was like really like not a fun time in my life and it ended really badly. And she, you know, you know, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> she does not like me. I, I reached out to her recently. So I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it, it didn't end well. Let's put it that way. So I wanted to turn away. I didn't have a ton of money anymore, but I had a decent enough amount, enough to get by and hungry for a while. And I wanted to try a lot of friends who were outside of poker and like online marketing. And I wanted to do something with my personality. I wanted to talk. I wanted to like, I don't know, podcast, video, something like kind of like take what I learned from doing the video blogs during the bet and go in that direction. Like I realized I don't love the math of poker and I should leave that game to people who do, you know, I wanted to do something with like myself. So this is what I really wanted to do but I didn't really know how to do it. And the girl I dated, she really, really like 
you know, it's not her fault, but she came from a background of like shortage, you know, communism wasn't that long ago in Hungary and Eastern Europe. And like people don't have a lot of money. Um, and she knew that I made good money in poker and the idea that I would turn away from something that makes good money to do something untested was like, no fucking way you do this. Don't be retarded. You know, you poker player, you play poker. And like, she didn't like some of the friends I had that like did the marketing stuff and she didn't think, so she kind of like, I had kind of beta mindset to be honest. I I was like, you know, I, I failed my first shit test in that relationship and it didn't get better from there, you know? So, uh, she kind of like, she was like, yeah, you know, you're going to play poker. You need to do that. That makes the money. And like, these aren't your friends. These people are your friends. Now it's kind of like, if you say so, you're hot. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was, it's pretty shameful to be honest, looking back, but you know, like we've all been there. I was in a pretty bad place in my life when I met her. Someone I remember told me that like, you know, James, I think it's not super healthy that you met her. Like when you're going, when you're like in such like a, a fucked up point in your life. And I was just like, listen, that's a fucking luxury I don't have right now. <laughs> you know, um, I really do believe that if you're going to have a successful relationship, you have to choose your partner from abundance and you have to be, uh, for sure. You have to be in a good point in your life. Like the girl, I'm not so sure. Like if you, bo- it's obviously GTO, if you're both in a great point in your life, but as a man and as a man in your relationship, you for sure have to have your shit together. Like build your castle before you find your queen. It's not the only way to make it work, but I think it's the preferred way. If you're older, I think it's a lot more important too. It's not so much about the money. It's not so much about like the finances or the business. It's more about like your mindset has to be pretty solid. Like you have to know, you know, at the same time, your mindset has to be able to change. You have to be able to handle cognitive dissonance, all this stuff and, you know, be growing and learning all the time and admitting when you're wrong, like not, not necessarily to your girlfriend, but to yourself, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have to, um, you can't be pussy guy. This is the phrase I always use. You can't be wishy-washy. Like you have to have some certainty about you, who you are, what's important to you, what your integrity is like. Before you can have a good relationship, you have to have a good relationship with yourself. And that was like kind of the crux of it. And I did not have that before the relationship. So surprise, surprise, when the relationship ended, I still didn't have that. And this, the idea that like, okay, so I'm with this super hot chick that like is the envy of all my friends and like, uh, I'm good enough for her. Therefore I must be good enough for everybody. And then like when the relationship ended, I recognize I don't like who I am. I actually stopped meditating during the relationship because I knew that if I kept meditating, my mind was going to be like, dude, you need to fucking break up with this girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I like, just so didn't want to. I didn't want to fade. It's not about the girl. And I, you know, I don't, to an extent, I mean, feel bad that she's mixed up in it. But like, I, I wasn't ready to face everything I was like putting my head in the sand to look away from. Like, I wasn't ready. Like, Will Smith has this quote that like, it's not our darkness that scares us, it's like our light. Like, we're more afraid of like our greatest power. I think it's not a Will Smith quote, but he repeats it. It's uh, somebody else's quote. I looked it up before, but their name is their name is not one that I remember uh, automatically. But um, basically, I, I recognize that like, I was afraid of the enormity of what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help myself uh, in the process. And I wanted to like inspire people. And I wanted to like do something on a grand scale. And the idea that like nothing else was going to be satisfactory was pretty overwhelming, you know? And, um, just the idea of like, even like being like, I had no nerves about coming on a podcast today, but like four years ago, the idea of like speaking on a podcast would have given me like a lot of anxiety, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I first started coaching, I mean, just even before one, one-on-one, like I'd like run around like the house, like for 10 minutes before my first fucking call, I'd be nervous. And, you know, just when you do things for a while and the more and more comfortable you get with who you are, and the more sure you are of yourself and like what your values are and what's important to you, like this stuff just kind of goes away. 
Like I, I have very, very little anxiety in my life these days. I had a little bit on the boat when the French customs came, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> even in that situation, you know, like, um, I, I was like pretty much able to like calm other people down, sure. you know, like I, uh, I, I love this quote, anything that costs your peace is too expensive. And you know, for sure, like I would never like give my peace away so easily to like, I don't know, some fucking girl at the bar or something. You're like, no, I'm not going to allow these situations to like make me nervous and define my value. But you know, when you're a young guy, this shit is hard. Like you don't feel this way. And I remember thinking like my biggest problem is life is I, I'm not, I don't feel that I'm good enough, but I don't know how to feel good enough. You know, like how do you become good enough for yourself? I, I, a question I know the answer to now, but I didn't know it at the time. You know, like it took me a long time. So all those fucking tears I told you about and all that bullshit, it's just like, it's going through trying a whole bunch of things that don't work. And, you know, listening to books from people that maybe don't know what the fuck they're talking about as well. Or like any author who like knows 80, you know, knows a lot of good things. And even myself, I'm sure there's things that I say that I believe are true that maybe aren't true or aren't helpful to the person I tell them to. I mean, I can't be perfect and no one is. So, you know, following things too closely, maybe like listening to something that maybe has a lot of information for you, but not being able to know what's not for you and what is for you. I read this book, The, Tr- the Truth by Neil Strauss. And I don't know if it made me feel better or if it made me feel worse. Like in some ways it helped me, but in some ways it like fucked me up, you know? It, it's interesting though, because in, in with enough time, everything helps because you learn how to learn from everything that you go through. Eventually I got to a point with, uh, I went and I did ayahuasca. And for me, this was last resort, you know? It's just like, I heard about this shit on Joe Rogan when I was like, like living in Vancouver and uh, listening to podcasts like Grind and Poker. And he's like, you go to the South of America you take some fucking potion and you shoot out your, the top of your head into outer space. You see the universe and you experience your own death. And I was like, that sounds fucking terrifying. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like for sure not. I don't want to do that. You know, no fucking way I want to do ayahuasca. That sounds like the worst thing in the world. But when you like so depressed, you don't know what to do with yourself. And you're like, oh, I don't know how to like not want to jump off the bridge every day. You're like, okay, maybe like if I go see my own death, that's going to help. So, uh, I, I had like, you know, I, I buried myself in work and poker started going pretty well. At this point, I was playing PLO. I'd switched to like Potlum in Omaha a couple of years back and I, I hit my stride. I was actually doing the best I'd ever done in poker when I finally did kind of walk away. I was like playing the highest stakes of PLO I had played and like, um, you know, I was really confident in my game and actually enjoyed it again. But I just like, after doing ayahuasca, I kind of realized like, it's not like poker is just not like, I it really solidified that understanding that like, it's not uh, what I'm on this earth to do, you know? It's not like the, uh, I think for a person, like they're, they're, the thing they do with their life ideally should hit four targets. One is that you're good at it. One is that you can get paid for it. One is you enjoy it. And the last is that the world needs it. And I remember like my very first poker coach in 2007, I was on the phone with him and he's like, so what are you going to do after poker? And I was like, what do you mean after poker? And he's like, you know, like poker is a zero sum game, you know, like if for you to win, someone else has to lose. And I was kind of like, that's, that seems like a them problem, you know? And he's like, so what? You're just going to play <laughs> poker problem. forever? And I was like, yeah, I assume I'm going to be like, you know, sit next to Doyle Brunson at the fucking World Series of po- Poker when I'm 70 and he's 140. Like, this is the strategy, you know? I'm going to have fucking 8 million bracelets. Like, and you know, to be fair, if you're going to play poker, that's the fucking mindset. If you're going to do something, why not be the best in the world at it? So like when I played poker, I thought like, I'm going to be fucking, you know, world famous, you know, top elite poker player. That was the goal until it wasn't anymore. But, um, yeah, after doing ayahuasca, I don't know, I kind of got, uh, I had this one really intense trip where like I asked ayahuasca to show me humility, <laughs> which, uh, I wouldn't recommend to a friend unless you really want to get your ass kicked. Okay. But basically like, 
um, for those who don't know, like ayahuasca is a psychedelic, uh, they, it's a plant medicine. So when you go to Peru, like no one uses this fucking word drug to describe this. Cause it's not a drug. Like, I mean, what is the difference in a drug and a fucking medicine? It's whether your government tells you it's good or it's bad. You know, everything is just chemistry. Molecules do what they do. Um, but this is a molecule that when you take it, you're going to have a visionary experience and it feels like you can somewhat direct it. It's hard to know. Are you talking to the universe yourself? Like, but you get like this kind of ability to see like everything that ever happened in your life and how it affected you and like kind of see from start to finish, like how, like, you know, this kid pushed you down the playground when you were seven. And because of that, you like didn't like kids with faces look like this, you know what I mean? And like shit like that. Um, you, you learn to like, see like very funny things about yourself. At least this is what my experience was, but maybe that's cause I'm into psychology. I'd read like, you know, 50, uh, self-development and psychology books in the last six months before going to do ayahuasca. Whereas like, you know, other people were like, yeah, I saw lions and pyramids and dragons and shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? I never see anything like that. <laughs> so different for everybody. But for me, I saw like, I, it's like I could see how my brain had wired and because I could see how it had wired, I could like unthread the needle and wire it differently. It's like I could see the neuronic connections in my brain that had formed as a basis because of certain events in my life and be like, oh, okay, it makes sense this form this way, but like, let's not do that anymore because that's fucking stupid. Let's do it like this. And like, I could, it's like you wake up the next day and all of a sudden you're just different. Like certain things in my life, like situations that gave me physical anxiety, like would make me feel like I needed to go to the bathroom no longer did after like one ceremony, like, like a whole bunch of like intestinal discomfort which is like snap your fingers like the next day. Well, I wouldn't say snap your fingers because it was fucking six hours of fucking torment and feeling like maybe you're going to shit yourself. But uh, <laughs> as of the next day, my digest uh, digestive issues were like 95% better for the rest of my life. Where'd you do it? Uh, I did it in Peru at a place called, uh, it was at the time it was Pulse Tours. It's been sold since then to uh, another company. But uh, I did it in Peru. But if I was going to recommend a place right now, I would recommend this place, Soltara, in Costa Rica. The people who used to own the center that I went to in Peru now own the center in Costa Rica. And the shaman that I worked with in Peru are working at that center in Costa Rica. They're really fucking cool. They got uh, Dennis McKenna to to go there this July. And uh, they work with like uh, MAPS, a multi, uh, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies in the U.S., and they were with a lot of PhDs and like they really study this medicine and like they kind of bring the Eastern and the Western together and they're very well educated and it's a safe place to do it. It's like nice amenities and like they're going to explain everything to you. And so if anyone's interested in ayahuasca, like, you know, shoot me a message on Instagram or whatever, or just, you know, head over to Soltara and like check out their website. I mean, there's there is more than one legit place to go, but it's very important to go to one of the legit places like Blue Morpho is also a super legit place. Aubrey Marcus talks about that a lot. Um it's very important to go to a super legit place because if you don't like, there's a lot of shady shit that can happen in South America. If you take fucking ayahuasca with some random guy in a tent somewhere, you know, <laughs> like you need to be, uh, it's hard to explain to people why, but like everyone has the same question before they do ayahuasca. Like why I can't just order the shit off the internet and do it in my room. Yeah. Listen, if you take my advice on anything, it's this do not fucking do ayahuasca. <laughs> like, you, you have no idea. Like you, like, yeah, it's not the, it makes taking LSD seem like drinking a wine cooler. <laughs> you do not fuck with ayahuasca until you very experienced, you know, I, I don't know. Like there may become a point in the life where like you could do this like on your own, but you fucking for sure are not there yet. If you haven't taken it. 
sure. Well, a lot of people will take deemers and stuff like that and fuck around with DMT, but from what I've heard... One of the most prolific experiences I had in my life was 5-MeO DMT. But if I hadn't had the, the girl there, this girl Tamara, this amazing girl who was there who was my facilitator, to like talk me through rationalizing the experience, like I think I could have been fucked up for a long time. And I've heard stories about people like taking this and then like becoming agoraphobic and like not leaving their house for a year. This is not ayahuasca. This is a 5-MeO DMT specifically. But, you know, ayahuasca takes the DMT experience and like stretches it out into like a six-hour window of like manageable space where you can kind of work with the experience whereas like dmt is just like you know god kicks you in the dick and your consciousness explodes on the top of your head um <laughs> i've never tried either most of my friends have i remember i asked a girl like how long am i supposed to inhale the smoke for from the dmt and she goes uh don't worry about it <laughs> you know what i mean because you you breathe it in and then like you're dead <laughs> like you, you don't even understand like like you know you just like <laughs> it really like that holy shit, like you want to kick in the dick like that, that is the molecule. But uh, I don't think that's for everybody. You know, like you should uh, yeah. gauge yourself for sure. But like what I, what I was saying is like, you cannot understand until you've experienced some of these things, like how important it is to have the right set and setting the right people around you to like make sure you're safe and talk to you afterward. Integration is one of the most underrated things about like any experience. I mean, even this fucking boat party, you know, we were talking about having an integration call, you know what I mean? Like, how do we go back to normal life now? You know, we should probably <laughs> have a chat about it. I mean, any anytime you have an experience that's really far out of your normal, it's really important to talk with other people who've been through similar experience and kind of talk about how you should integrate that experience into your regular life. Because, you know, like even say like a poker player who wins a lot of money, this is why they have me. You know, this is why I do mindset coaching for poker players, because it's important for a person who's at the top of the fucking roller coaster to be able to talk to someone who's been at the top of the roller coaster before, or at least the top of some roller coaster. I mean, there's guys I coach who are much more successful than I ever was, but I understand the, the way that mm -hmm. it works, you know, and it's important to be able to have like that. You need someone to, who's been there before, who knows the ups and the downs, because it's very e easy to, like you cannot succeed without an ego, but your ego, just like a good woman is going to shit test you every step of the way. It's constantly trying to fuck you up. And if it wins, you, you right. suck it, you know, like you're going to fall on your face. So it's really important to have like this kind of integration. Like anytime you experience something like a big change in your life, you should talk with people like doesn't have to be in a paid relationship. I mean, sometimes paid relationship is good because someone gives you a different level of service than if they're just your friend. And you also tend to listen to people better if you fucking paid them. Like I have a mentor I pay $1,500 a month to, to talk to me for 45 minutes twice a month. But like, because I pay him that, I fucking listen, you know? And because I pay him that he fucking, you know, you know, he also wants to deliver on that, you know? So it's like, we have, very good relationship, but I also have friends I talk to, you know, it, you can bring the same level of attention and quality of discourse to any conversation, you know, like I'm sure anytime you and I have a conversation, except maybe the day <laughs> I arrived in Corsica or I mean, in Nice, it's going to be a pretty sure. high level conversation, you know, but yeah, basically after the ayahuasca, like that ceremony, the second one I had, I felt like I, I don't know, it's kind of grim to put into words, but I felt like it showed me like, imagine seeing a movie that just replayed to you like all the human suffering throughout history. But like you hooked into this machine where like, as you watch the movie, you feel it. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty <laughs> shit to be honest. Um, <laughs> I remember like, I knew that it was just like, you know, it's the ayahuasca and it's like the missing working and that after the experience, it will be over and it's going to last six hours. Like in some level, I still knew that, 
But at the same time, it was so intense and so severe and so painful that if I could have like hit a button to end my life and just be dead, I would have slapped that button so hard and so fast. Like it's something I felt like I couldn't have consented to. Like there's no possible way if I understood how much it was going to suck, I could have consented to it. But I want to emphasize that this is not typical. Like I have friends who've done ayahuasca and I tell them the story and they go, James, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's so not normal. So, I mean, I I have also met somebody though, like I think one or two people who have had an experience like this. It's like, I don't know what life has in store for other people, you know, until, until I talk with them. But, uh, it's hard to know what life has in store for you. So it's the kind of thing you don't like push someone to do ayahuasca, but if they feel called to do it, you say, yeah, go for it. Right. It's kind of like ayahuasca has to find them, not they've got to go out and search for it. It's a, it's a certain kind of person who feels called to go to, I mean, you know, first time I did mushrooms, I was like 16 and I just wanted to like, you know, see cool shit. But, uh, the funny thing is if I would do mushrooms now, I don't even think I would see anything because, uh, I almost feel like it's just like trying to get my attention. They're like, Hey, look toward this. It's more than it appears. Like people think this is a drug and it's like cool to trip on. But like, actually this is a medicine that's going to teach you a lot about life and about your brain and about how brain chemistry works. I mean, I don't know if you've heard about the stone to ape theory, but a lot of people believe that, um, you know, Christianity has earliest roots in, uh, in psilocybin and that, uh, the early like Christian halos in the Bible were actually mushroom caps. And I, I don't, I can't say if this is very hard to verify things from like the ancient past, but, uh, the stone ape theory is pretty interesting. I mean, Terrence McKenna fucking ate mushrooms every day for a month, uh, while in a search in Colombia to try to find ayahuasca. And instead he had found a fucking giant patch of mushrooms and he ate like, I don't know, seven grams of mushrooms a day for 30 days and became convinced it was like the way the aliens were trying to com- communicate with us through plants, which, you know, it's not fucking impossible. I mean, we could all be on a simulation reality TV show for the aliens. Well, that's what uh, Elon Musk thinks or something close to that. He thinks we all live in a simulation. Listen, if you want to be Elon Musk, you've got to be like, you know, the border between genius and insanity is pretty fine. I mean, kind of get, going back to how you combated your depression. Um, it sounds like it was a mix of, you know, broke up with your girl, learned some things about yourself, did some ayahuasca, um, a lot of meditation, um, integration you talked about. Is there anything else that was kind of like a big... Uh, important part of that part of that story yeah well i mean like basically i take a lot of things from that journey and like i implement them into my programs which like for the people that i coach because a lot of the guys who come to me like for coaching it's funny that it always turns out like they come because they think they have one problem but like what is the problem usually underneath it all it's usually like the voice in your head's a dickhead you don't love yourself um and you don't feel like you're good enough and and this is like most people's problem and if you meet someone who never had these problems like they're like, like this is like the person you meet who always smiling and you're like, you ever just like not feel good enough. And they look at you like, what the fuck? <laughs> who is this guy? Why would you ask you? You know, like some people, I don't know, you know, they never had these kind of problems, but like th- this is the kind of thing, like, like reading certain books. I mean, man's search for meaning is like one of the most important books, uh, in the life. I still remember that. Well, you know, you have a good fucking book when you remember the person that gave it to you, you know? So man's search for meaning. I still remember this guy, Patrick, uh, who I went to university with, who was a fucking legend. Like this guy, just like football quarterback, crushed it with girls, like just really cool guy. He recommended me this book and I didn't even fucking listen to him for years. I was like, oh, fuck it. That sounds, that book's about the Holocaust. Sounds like really not fun. So I didn't want to read this book. You know, I I didn't want to read the book about the Holocaust. That sounds like it sucks, but you know, it's the first fucking book in my coaching program for every student I coach. You know, you have to read this fucking book. Um, and you know, it's usually the work that you want to do the least is the one that's going to pay the biggest benefit at the end of the day. Like, you know, I didn't want to meditate because I knew it would make me break up my girlfriend. I want to break up my girlfriend because I knew that would like make me have to face all my problems on my own. I didn't want to like 
you know, I didn't want to go do ayahuasca because like I knew it was going to suck. You know, I, I didn't want to do all the things that, uh, ended up being the things that are now like the foundation that I stand on. Like, you know, Ryan holiday has a whole book called the obstacle is the way, but the fucking, you know, you can sum that book up and, you know, don't hate me, Ryan holiday. I think you're an excellent author, but you can sum it up quite easily. Is it like the thing, the one fucking thing you want to turn away from is the thing you need to turn toward. Cause that's the thing that's going to make you better. Precisely the thing that sucks. The thing you don't want to have to go through is exactly the thing. If you turn your awareness there and you fucking focus right on it and face the problem head on, that's the fucking thing that's going to turn you into the person you need to be. It's uh, not too far of a message from the alchemist. I'm totally different, but yeah, you know, like one of my favorite expressions, which is, uh, it's not from the alchemist, but now looking back, like the alchemist really capsulates is like every day is an education. Like everything that happens in life, either you win or you learn, you know, like, Sometimes you're on a boat party and you're winning. <laughs> yep. Sometimes yep. you're on a boat party and you're learning, you know? <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, e- everything is either like a victory or a learning experience. And once you start to see life that way, like the victim mentality is what fucks people. And this is like Tony Robbins says the same thing. Life is never happening to you. Life is always happening for you. This is a GTO way to think. And the problem people get is their fucking ego won't let them. Because it's like, no, 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 but is it true? This question, actually, one of the guys I met, just a random guy, his name was Jason, traveling through Budapest, who had done ayahuasca before and told me a bit about it. He told me this thing that he got from his experience. It helped me so much in my life. Stop acting, asking yourself if things are true and ask yourself, is it useful? Like when it comes to thoughts, people get so, the reason people have really negative perspective about the world, they think life sucks and then you die is because they, they not only think life sucks, but they think they write about it. And just like Chris Rock says, you know, you can be right or you can be happy. Like your ego wants to believe that life sucks and then you die. And then like, so your ego like convinces you of the truth. And anytime you try to be happy, it's like, no, 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 don't be a fucking, don't be an idiot. Like life sucks. See, see. And every time you find evidence that life sucks, it's selective reinforcement and it conforms to your worldview and it strengthens the ego. So people are more, in, it's more important to people to, see that the world to like reaffirm their beliefs like they attach to their belief structure and then it's more gratifying to be correct and to reaffirm their existing viewpoint than to consider a new viewpoint that means hey you're wrong but it's better than you thought it was and when you learn that it's good to be wrong in life like when you learn that like sometimes you're wrong and as a result life is much fucking better than you thought it was you get to be much fucking happier have much better relationships like you get to have a much higher quality of life if you can just admit that like you <laughs> thought it was different and now you know better, like, holy fuck, like, life gets so much better. You know, I mean, I think we all enjoyed a pretty abundant lifestyle this, this week. And uh, I like to think that I enjoy a pretty abundant lifestyle every day. But in order to do that, I had to humble myself a lot. Like this lesson with ayahuasca told me, like it was very mm-hmm. hard for me throughout my life to learn from other people. Like I always like to think I was the shit. Cause, but it's not really because I believed I was the shit. It was because I didn't. And when you, when you have like an insecure worldview, when you, like an insecure view of yourself and you don't think you're good enough, you have to like pretend like you are and like you can't admit that someone else might know something you don't. Or like, it's so hard to like go to someone and just be like, hey, you're better at this than me. Can you show me? And people who can say that, people who can just go seek out people and like they don't care whether it's about, you know, fucking poker or talking to girls or whatever the fucking topic is. They just go, hey, you're good at this. I suck. Can you help me? That's the person who gets better. That's the mindset I had in wrestling. I used to, I, I knew that I sucked. There was no lying about whether or not I was good because I got my ass kicked every fucking match. I would go out there and get fucking pinned, get beat up. <laughs> I, I got pinned by a blind midget once. 
<laughs> like, I was fucking horrible. I cried like a fucking baby after it. Because uh, to be fair, he had like what we call super retard strength. He was like, uh, and he was nearsighted. <laughs> That's not a politically correct term, but he was, uh, he was nearsighted. And he was like Special Olympic powerlifting champion. And I had to touch him at all times. So I couldn't like break away and sit on the lead when I was beating him. And like, he was like, he was really short. So on the bottom, he could just like step away from me and shit. He could do, it was like wrestling Donkey Kong, you know, like kind of unfair, even though he couldn't see that well. And in the end, he just like fucking gorilla headlocked me and like, I was stuck. But you know, like, I'm glad I can laugh about that now because it doesn't affect who I am. Like, yeah, when I was 16, I got pinned by a blind midget in wrestling. But then I also went on to be like second in the country in freestyle wrestling and almost be a national champion. So. Well, that seems like a, the blind midget wrestling seems like a good point to uh, to leave off, as well as the uh, <laughs> I think about the halfway point of the call was when yeah. I I made the reference to um, you know speaking of masturbation or ejaculation, but hey, it's been a fucking awesome interview. Um, I've learned a ton, and I'm sure all the listeners have as well. I'm, I'm guessing a bunch of guys might have questions for you. They can find you at your ins- on your Instagram page, which is Instagram at James Wittet. That's james j-a-m-e-s-w-h-i-t-t-e-t and if they want to email you if anyone wants to email you is that cool yeah me at jameswittit.net yeah you can check out my website if you want like jameswittit.net i have a team that's building it for me this summer um so don't make fun of my fucking shitty wordpress skills i took a web design class in like a summer camp when i was 16 but i think the content on there is pretty good and you can reach me through there um, I'm pretty proud of the writing on there, but I hasn't got the like web 2.0 development team, you know, life mindset coach like overhaul. So it may not look like the most professional website in the world, but I think if you guys enjoyed this call and you read some of the stuff on there, you'll like it. Uh, but yeah, look for that. I mean, I'm pretty proud of the writing on there, but it, it still looked like it was coded by a 15 year old. Cool. All right, buddy. Well, great talking and, uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Robbie, you said you Robbie, you said you learned a lot during this call. Give me one thing you learned before you go. Fuck. Which which one should I? I really like the one of the last things you said about stop acting if things stop asking if things are true and ask if they're useful because that makes a lot more uh, <laughs> makes a lot more sense and and uh, that's something I do a lot. You know, is this true? Is this false? Blah blah blah, and it really doesn't matter because as you said. So that was great. Um, and I'm yeah. going to read, I'm finally going to read Man's Search for Meaning because I did the same thing you did, I guess, the first time. This was fuck back in, it must have been 23 when someone told me to read that book. And I read the first little bit and I was like, yeah, it's about the Holocaust. I'm Jewish. I fucking read so much shit about the Holocaust. Fuck this. And I put it down yeah. and I never picked it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it's only, oh, I'll do it's it. only four hours my audio. All right. Book. Well, I'll, I'll it's do like it this four week. Hours I'll, uh, 20 minutes. I'll do it this week. And if I haven't, I'll, uh, shoot you a hundred bucks yeah, yeah that's another good way to get yourself to do things you have to pay people if you don't should we give them the takeaway or should we give them the homework should we give them the one of the main takeaways no, the book you guys have to read it fuck you if i have to read it you have to read it motherfuckers <laughs> all right all right thanks again james great having you on all right cheers, thank you thanks for listening if you want more go to innerconfidence.com and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for the latest episodes